And welcome everybody to the Ides of Oberon. And this is our third uh, foray into this series with the, uh, our father, uh, Oberon Zell. And this one time we're gonna be talking a lot more about the idea of water and how it came into being. And the reason I think this is an important one is that you've heard a lot about water sharing and things of that nature, but I've seen it in and out throughout one unifying piece. I saw one unifying piece, and that is thou shall never thirst, which is a beautiful sentiment. How deeply it's gotten across different traditions and different platforms. So today I present Oberon Zell, and he's going to give us a conversation about the origins of this unique and growing uh, tradition within the pagan world. Hmm? Well, all right. Um... Welcome, my friends, to this third episode of my new monthly video broadcast, The Ides of Oberon. And um, may you never thirst. I've been rather amused to see that the various autocorrect systems that insist on turning this into the ideas of Oberon. But I, while I don't mind the pun, Ides was the ancient Roman term for the 15th day of the month. And that's what I had in mind for the schedule for this show. So the 15th of every month, tune in to the Ides of Oberon. And I'm Oberon Zell, and I'm speaking to you on behalf of the exciting Pagan World Project, which I'm proud to represent. As a founding father and the first person to adopt and promote the identity of Pagan for the nascent movement way back in 1967, I love this community with its unique potential to lead our wounded world into a healing and an awakening. I'm sure you all remember Witchvox, the witch's voice. It was an amazing website that offered quality connections on a local to global basis. Founded and operated by Ren and Fritz Walker from 1997 until the end of 2019, Witchvox offered meaningful connections that helped create the online pagan community. The shock of the end of Witchvox and its erasure from the web left a painful vacuum as well as a myth and a legacy leaving the community to its own resources. So over the past year, the sense of loss of this wonderful tool to community building has grown and required a response. Our scattered people want to connect to the greater pagan community, to come home. The internet today allows us to connect and share our communities in ways never before possible or even imaginable. Pagan World will provide a central directory for you to discover your local and global groups, shops, services, and events. We intend to provide access to teachers, guides, classes, and circles for as many speakers as possible. And as a lover of great festivals, many of which I've attended personally over the years, for these to be better listed and even more accessible to our growing community. For my part, I'm doing these monthly Zoom broadcasts, and this is the third. Tonight's episode is the final lessons. There'll be time for questions and answers at the end of my talk, so take notes. This COVID epidemic, now entering its second year, has taken nearly 600,000 lives in the United States and millions more throughout the world. We've all lost people we knew, friends, family, loved ones. All previous coronavirus or flu-type epidemics of historical record ran for two years, and we should expect the same for this one. 
So with the Grim Reaper stalking the land, speaking in all capital letters, the topic of death looms high in our awareness. What happens to our soul, spirit, consciousness after we die? Is our essential awareness just extinguished like a stuffed candle? Or does it continue on in some invisible and ineffable realm beyond our mortal ken? This has been, throughout the entire span of human existence, the greatest of all mysteries. As Shakespeare said, to be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them, to die, to sleep no more. And by a sleep, we, to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to, ah, tis a consummation devoutly to be wished. To die, to sleep, to sleep, perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come? When we have shuffled off this mortal coil, must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of despised love, ah, the law's delay, the insolence of office, and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes, when he himself might his quietus make with a bare bodkin, who would fardels bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life, but that the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns, puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of. That, of course, is from Hamlet, Act 3, Scene 1. One of my latest books is The Undiscovered Country, A Traveler's Guide to the Afterlife, which is available from Amazon. This book begins with death and continues with the journey the soul may take afterwards to arrive at the blessed realm and eventually, perhaps, to return in a new incarnation. The book includes illustrated descriptions and visions of the afterworlds, the other lives of various cultures. All of us who are alive today will someday face the final passage into that undiscovered country. And this book is a guide for that inevitable journey. So I'd like to share with you tonight the final chapters and the final lessons. Long ago, in March of 1986, I traveled across Europe with my beloved consort, Donna Carter. From Spain to France, to Italy, to Greece, and finally the Aegean islands of Mykonos and Crete, we toured the underworld, exploring archeological sites and cemeteries, ruins and tombs, painted caves, cathedrals, and catacombs of the ancient world as well as the great museums in each country. These are the concluding notes from my travel journal of May 25th, 
1986. I have been back now from my European pilgrimage with Donna for almost two months. I have celebrated the bringing in of the May in the circle of my people and have told some of my stories around the campfire. Excerpts from my journal are being published in Mendocino Country as a series called Shrines of Europe. Life continues to be rich and rewarding, and I'm nourished in the precious love of my extended family. I feel incredibly blessed. And it is from this perspective that I want to try and summarize the lessons of our pilgrimage in this final chapter. Led by the tarot trump of death, Belladonna and I have traveled the length of the underworld. We have crept through the corridors of Cro-Magnon caverns, where painted ponies and bas-relief basin struggled in stone to be reborn. We have wandered through vast subterranean catacombs, where uncountable hundreds of thousands of human skeletons were stacked like cordwood from floor to ceiling. We have seen and handled human skulls that were not quite human. We have descended into the tombs of the Tarkin kings and learned the meanings of the symbols in the metaphorical murals painted on the walls. We have traced the length of the Cretan labyrinth and followed Ariadne's thread into the lair of the Minotaur. We have peered within the sarcophagi of time-lost civilizations and have seen our former selves mirrored in crumbling mummies. We visited the crypts of crusaders and conquistadors, lying with swords in hand beneath the floors of medieval monasteries and Gothic cathedrals. We have walked the exhumed streets of buried cities, the moment of their death frozen for millennia, and seen plaster statues encasing the contorted bones of luckless citizens. We have wandered cobblestoned paths among the burial vaults and chapels of the Paris Cemetery and paid our respects to the grave of Jim Morrison. We have trod the passages of ancient necropoli and their secrets have been revealed to us. And we have traveled beyond the river Styx to the very halls of Hades and the throne room of Persephone, queen of the underworld, where we have traced the footsteps of Odysseus through the land of the dead. We have, in very fact, been to hell and back. And we have walked as well the halls of heaven. We have stood within the colonnaded corridors of crumbling temples to the gods and goddesses of our ancestors. We have laid our offerings on ancient altars and made our prayers of gratitude to the great ones. Up endless spiral staircases we have plodded to emerge upon the roofs of towering cathedrals with gargoyle guardians perched like pigeons on the balustrades. We have climbed the long winding way up to cloud-shrouded Acropolis to gaze in wonder at the vast ruined temples upon their summits. We've embraced the Oracle Oak of Dodona, the very embodiment of mighty Zeus. We've made our pilgrimages to all the oracles from Dodona to Delphi, and our questions have been answered. And finally, we have drunk the holy water from the sacred Castellian Spring of Gaia 
as it issued forth from her vaginal cleft. And in the museums, we have examined behind glass the grave goods of a dozen dead dynasties, time capsules of the lives of individuals and races, cultures caught in time like flies in amber. We have seen their gold and ivory, their marble and pottery, their iron and copper and bronze. We have viewed their painted frescoes and read the writings on the walls. And this we have learned from all the honored dead who have gone before. Death is a passage, not a destination. We are born from the mother of life, and to her we eventually return. To be clothed with new flesh, and born again, and again, and again. We are like drops of water spewed from a fountain to sparkle and dance for a time in the sunlight, only to fall eventually back into the pool from which we are continually being drawn up and sprayed forth again. There are no endings, only endless beginnings as we cycle round and round through night and day, winter and summer, death and life. All the symbols we learned to decipher in the tombs and catacombs were not of life's endings, but of its renewals. Trees of life painted round the four walls of Etruscan tombs showed the green leaves of summer, the ripening fruits of autumn, the bare branches of winter, and the flowering of spring again. Butterflies reminded us of the metamorphosis from caterpillar through the apparent death of the mummy-wrapped cocoon, wherein the body of the lowly caterpillar dissolves into goo before being reconstituted into a beautiful new creature. Painted eggs hatched into fledgling chicks who grew wings and flew away. Pomegranates recalled the three seeds eaten by Persephone, linking her forever to the cycle of returns. In the catacombs of Rome, where outlawed early Christians met and prayed, images of Jonah and the whale were everywhere, cast in the form of bronze candelabra and painted or etched upon the walls as constant reminders of the story that Jonah was resurrected from the belly of the whale after three days. Three days entombment of Jesus, and three days after being bitten by a vampire to arise as the living undead. We saw guardians and monsters meant to frighten the uninitiated, gorgons and gargoyles, mentacores and minotaurs. We recognized them, gave the passwords, and were not turned away. And we met the true ruler of the underworld, the Dark Mother. She sat veiled and enthroned, and she stood tall and proud breasts bared, with serpents in her upraised hands. She wore a crown of poppies and crescent moons, and her headdress was formed of vultures and cobras. She offered a dove in a pomegranate, though her hands were empty. Her face was radiant with incomparable beauty, and she wore a fanged mask ringed with vipers. And she was thin as bones, but also round-bellied and heavy-breasted with pregnancy.
We have always known her as the queen of life, but now we have come to know her also as the queen of death. And she is our mother, and we are her children. We have come to perceive ourselves as actors in a glorious cosmic drama, and we've learned to admire profoundly the competence of the directors. The sets are magnificent. The plot is epic with comedy and tragedy in perfect balance, and the casting is brilliant. Moreover, we get to design our own costumes and write our own lines. Donna and I have come to feel that our best approach is to put on a good show. That way we'll keep getting better and better parts. And all we really have to do is develop our characters, learn to pick up our cues and be ready with snappy comebacks. And of course, never fail to show our appreciation for being granted these roles. For this performance, Donna and I should win an Academy Award. And we cannot wait to see what offers we get for our next parts. Having been to hell and back, neither life nor death can hold any terrors for us. The tomb is but a dressing room where we put off our worn off clothing of mortal flesh and pass through the painted portals of paradise to re-enter her cauldron room, to sleep, perchance to dream, and eventually to reawaken clothed in new costumes for another turn on stage. And I hereby present a mythical metaphor for your edification and amusement. All living creatures are like cups of various sizes and shapes with which the waters of life are scooped from the well of souls. And the cups are emptied back into the pool when they are periodically broken. New cups are continually being fashioned of living clay and are dipped in their turn into the same well to be filled. But it is rare that a new cup will scoop up exactly the same batch of molecules as had been contained in a former cup. Usually there will be a considerable mix. And so it is that a human may have bits of past life memories of several other people, as well as assorted animals, or that a human-sized cup may contain a number of entire birds and other small animals, but at most, only a fraction of a single whale. And in the proper balance of nature, each new generation replaces the previous, so that the number of each kind of cup remains approximately constant. Now, what do you suppose happens when one species proliferates greatly at the expense of others? When there are no more cups of moa, stellar sea cow, Carolina parakeet, passenger pigeon, thylacine, sperm whale, condor, mammoth, giant lemur, great auk, cave bear, megatherium, dodo, rock, or countless others, but the cups labeled human are being produced by the geometrically increasing billions. In that case, I believe, the human soul stuff would become increasingly diluted with other decimated species, and all the vanished animals would return in human form. In their 1960 book, 62 book, Warriors of the Rainbow, 
William Waloya and Vincent Brown claimed that many years ago, the indigenous Hopi had prophesied that the spirits of all the dead indigenous tribes would return in a single generation in the bodies of the white conquerors. This generation, they said, would be recognizable by their natural affinity for the ways of those native peoples. They would wear beads and leather and feathers, let their hair grow long and hold it back with braids and headbands. They would take up the indigenous ways and return to the reverence of nature and the great mother. They would learn the native chants and purify themselves in sweats, fasts, and vision quests. And they would come to be known by a name similar to Hopi, which means the peaceful ones, for they would also be the children of peace. Around 1970, the Hopi elders declared that this prophecy had come to pass with the generation of hippies. And they summoned shamans from all the tribes to the four corners of the ancestral Hopi land to learn the full extent of the prophecies and to go forth and instruct those who would be receptive. This was done. In 1986, I wrote, I prophesy that the generations now being born in the 1980s will incarnate the spirits of the slaughtered whales. I imagine that the reason why whales always beach themselves to die is that they have a myth that they once came from the land and that they shall return to the land in the afterlife. I believe this is true. And I believe that this new generation who will come of age around the turn of the millennium will be a generation of noble heroes in an age of future legends, for it will be their task to undertake that heroic quest through all manner of perils to the fortress of ultimate darkness to restore the light, save the world, and usher in the next golden age of Aquarius. For this is one of those great ages of magic when the fate of all living beings turns on a tiny pivot and all things are possible. More than at any such time in all history, the choices have escalated to the ultimate, apocalypse or apotheosis, planetary annihilation or planetary illumination. As the character Ozymandias said in the Watchman graphic novel number 11, it's a neck and neck race between the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the seventh cavalry. And with such a wide range of possibilities comes the return of true magic in the form of coincidence control through the manipulation of probabilities. There are now as many people alive at one time as have ever lived before in the entire span of human history. We're all on stage for the grand finale. It's been a great show and I for one think we should take it on the road. I find it no coincidence that the very technology which presently threatens all life on this planet could alternately be used to power starships which could carry our children's children throughout the galaxy. We create our world by the myths we live and believe in. And for the first time in our history, we're creating myths, not just of a golden age long past, but of one yet to come. 
What shall it be? Star Wars or Star Trek? We're all choosing up sides. Some of us will go a-sailing through the void so deep and far. They will go with us unfailing, plant the seeds from star to star. Hear our children's children's voices, join with those from days of yore. Avalon is rising, is rising, is rising. Avalon is rising to fall no more. That's Isaac Bonowitz from Avalon is rising. <clears throat> And we who reach for the stars in the heavens, lifting our eyes from the meadows and rows, still live in the love of the Lord and the lady. The greater the circle, the more the love grows. That's Gwendolyn Zach from her song, Circles. <clears throat> so I would like to conclude this talk with a little story. As pagans, we consider the myths and legends that have been passed down to us through the generations to contain the essential stories and lessons conveyed from our ancestral selves to our present incarnations. And we Ravenhearts have a story we share amongst ourselves, a family myth, if you were. We call it the village. <clears throat> I am death, I touch all. I will come as I must, bringing comfort and rest for your souls or my trust. And reunion, my gift, beyond death is the prize for your heart, for your soul, for your eyes. I will pulse in your blood. I will ring from your core. When the lady, my love, gives you flesh once more, you will meet and remember the loves of your lives, for your heart and your soul are my eyes. That's Kathy Marr and Gwen Zach. song is In Your Eyes. <clears throat> Upset by his satirical broadsides against the Christian establishment, a woman once asked Samuel Clemens whether he believed in holy baptism. Believe in it, thundered the irascible journalist. Why, madam, I've seen it done. <laughs> this is the way the members of my extended family, the Ravenhearts, feel about reincarnation. It's not a matter of belief for us. It's a matter of personal experience. It's a matter of recognition, literally knowing again. Why, madam, I've seen it done. Thousands of years ago, or once upon a time, if you prefer, somewhere in Central Europe, we all lived together in our little village. We had lived there from the earliest time, from when the great walls of ice retreated from the valley. Other villages, of course, also came into being across the earth, all with similar stories and destinies. We farmed the fields, hunted in the forests, picked herbs and berries on the hillsides, planted apple trees, and erected standing stones to mark the risings and settings of the sun, the moon, and the stars. We learned to grind and polish stone, to fire pottery, to forge bronze and later meteoric iron. Our houses had ancient walls of stone and ever-renewed roofs of thatch. We honored the earth, our mother, and celebrated the turnings of her seasons through summer's life, winter's death, and spring's rebirth. And when we died in our time, 
Our bodies would be buried in the apple orchard with sapling trees planted on our graves. And we would be remembered and invited to return as children conceived by those who had loved us. And generation after generation, in this way, we kept returning to the village and the ones we loved. For we were reborn among the souls we had grown to know and love, familiar beacons calling us home to become brothers, sisters, sons, and daughters to those we had just left. And we grew strong in our love for each other, our bonds of family, clan, and tribe, as well as the wisdom accumulated through countless returning lives. Sometimes wanderers would find their way to the village to become part of it ever after. And sometimes some of us traveled far afield and returned with mates from distant lands whose lives and destinies became interwoven with the village forevermore. These stories are also recalled and told among us. Over the centuries, our village suffered hard times as well as good. Periodically, raiders would cross the river to pillage and plunder, stealing what they could make off with, whether it be food, tools, goods, or women. But always we defended our homes, drove off the invaders, recouped our losses, and rebuilt our lives. And when women who had been carried off in those raids eventually came to the ends of their lives, they often returned to the village in their next incarnations, sometimes calling to join us the souls of children they had born far away. And then one terrible day, the Romans came. These were not simply raiders intent only on plunder. These were disciplined armies of conquest in the implacable name of empire. When we would not capitulate, they burned the village to the ground. Most of us were killed defending our homes and families. The few survivors were taken prisoner back to Rome, far from our destroyed home, which was lost to us forever. For now, when we died, there was no village to return to, no one to receive our spirits back into the welcoming wombs and arms of those who had known us and loved us. We were homeless souls, cast adrift, orphans of the storm. And so we became scattered across the world. We took incarnation wherever we could find it, in other lands, both near and far. We all have our stories of these past 2,000 years, always seeking each other through life after life, driven by love and longing. Sometimes two of us would meet, would love, would live a life together for a time, and then death would separate us once again. In these many lives we have lived, in many lands since the village, we have each met and loved other lost souls and forged new bonds. Some of us have returned in each new life to the essential roles we had held in the village, potter, smith, warrior, farmer, healer, hunter, herder, builder, priest, priestess, storyteller, poet, wizard, and witch. 
and some of us have lived successive lives very different one from the next. Never quite fitting in with the societies in which we kept finding ourselves, for we carried a secret alienation deep in our souls. Many of us were particularly targeted by the witch hunters and inquisitors, and we were brutally tortured and murdered in life after life during the burning times, only to keep returning relentlessly, courageously, again and again. For always we have sought each other, sought to recover the village, because in our deepest heart of hearts, we remember the home. And now in this time, two millennia later, some of us have found each other again. We have remembered who we truly are and what we have always meant to each other. And we have forged a new family, a core seed of the once and future village that was and shall be again. It is an open family seeking reconnection with those others of the village who may show up. All that our Ravenheart family members have done in working to create and, and recreate new and old religious and social movements and structures, the Church of All Worlds, neo-paganism, green egg, polyamory, mythic images, theogenesis, sacred connections, the gray school of wizardry, has been towards setting up beacons to draw home again those of our kindred so long lost from each other. How often have we heard the words of a newly discovered pagan spoken through tears at their first festival? I feel like I finally come home. I feel like I finally found my people. How many of us have spoken those words? How many of us have said to another that most beautiful of all phrases? Welcome home, brother or sister. Welcome home. Today, every pagan festival greets all comers with a big sign displaying those cherished words. And now we have a great work to do together. Beyond merely finding each other and recreating the village, we must make certain that our home is never destroyed again and that once reunited, we who love each other will never be torn asunder again. For the whole world is our village. If our world is destroyed, there will be no home to return to, no more wombs to receive back our sundered souls. Our task in the coming millennium is to ensure that there will always be a village to welcome us home. Through the ages, many races have arisen and have gone. Yet dispersed among the nations of the world we linger on. Now the time has come to take the sacred cauldron of rebirth and fulfill our ancient pledges to the earth. That, of course, is Gwydion Penderwins. We won't wait any longer. <sighs> so that's what I felt I wanted to share with you this evening as we are approaching Beltane again, when those words were first written. And um, now I'd like to open it up to you, 
for those of you who are here and any questions, comments, we've got a little time before the end of the hour. So please share it and join so, me. And maybe you never think. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, the first question I have, I guess, is along with this size, the undiscovered country. They're asking, is this book uh, available, is available on Amazon right now? Yes, it is. It's available on Amazon right now. Is it as also well available through, the, um, through local bookstores? Sorry? Is it available through local bookstores? Well, it should Hopefully, it's, it's available to local bookstores if they order it. The publisher is Black Moon Publishing, and um, it should be available everywhere. But if not, you can either go to Black Moon Publishing, um, or you can go to Amazon. That's All my books are available on Amazon. Just, just plug my name into the search bar, and they'll all come up. Terrific. I see we have Rose. If you have any questions, feel free. On um, the second question I got, and this was from Tiara. Um, and she's asking, she says, uh, when you pass, do you plan to reincarnate? Do you have plans for it? <laughs> yes, I do. I've been doing it for a long time. And I remember very, very distinctly uh, my previous life as my maternal grandfather, actually. So it, was, it was very disconcerting to my, to my parents, especially my mother, uh, you know, raising me up because I kept saying things and doing things. And they would say, that's, you sound just like your grandfather. That's just what he used to say kind of stuff. My father, who was a good Christian man, said that I was the, um, uh, while he didn't personally believe in this and he believed in going to heaven and hell, he said that I definitely convinced him of the reality of reincarnation long before I even knew of the word or the terminology. So I know how to do this and I definitely plan on doing it again. Morning Glory is already there on the other side, as many of you know, and she's kind of been running the welcome committee for so many of us passing over. And um, she'll just keep on doing that until I show up and then she'll turn it over to someone else and we plan to go off together and explore the other worlds and get visiting passes to some of the other realms. And we'll do that for a while until we decide that it's time for us to come back. And our plan is to be reborn sometime in the early um, 2060s. So we'll be coming of age in the 2080s in time for the next of the 60 year cultural revolutions that I've spoken of, which um, will be the diaspora or the diaspora, because we wanna colonize Mars. We've always wanted to do this. So that's kind of our long range plan. So yeah, we got plans. And when we got hand fasted over 40 years ago, Mm. We um, made a vow as part of our hand fasting to continue our union uh, beyond this life and into the next one. So, you know, we got to do that kind of stuck with it. We did promise. And so that's beautifully put. Um, I have a uh, from Gay, Ray Wolf from Wisconsin. And he's asking, he says, from the sounds of it, you, you were mentioning, he says, how's he phrase? He says, from the sounds of, of your undiscovered country and talk of the village, do we incarnate as family groups? Well, if we can manage it, uh, that is um, the affinity that we would naturally have for each other. It seems to be one of those factors. And many studies of reincarnation have implied that people often return in some relationship to people they had been involved with before. Not necessarily the same relationship, apparently, 
but uh, that does seem to be a common factor. I mean, I returned in the same family which I died, although that was a bit coincidental, I think. I mean, my, uh, uh, <clears throat> my grandfather, my mother's father, uh, died at home, and um, they made his bedroom into a nursery. <laughs> And but I, I did not really get to the other side exactly. It was just a direct transition from that life into my mother's womb. And I awoke in the nursery that was exactly the same bedroom that I had died in before. So um, I don't think everybody gets to do it like that. But that direct uh, transmigration is what it's called, is uh, certainly happens quite a lot according to the, the stories and the studies. But not necessarily. I mean, people can be scattered all kinds of places, really. Um, but there does seem to be an affinity for people that you've known and loved before. And I see that Rose says that she's convinced that she was her great-great-grandmother. Absolutely. I think that that happens a lot. I think that we see reincarnation in the family line fairly commonly, which is interesting <coughs> why there's a tradition in witchcraft of passing the... Um, passing the craft or the power down, skipping a generation from grandmother to, to granddaughter rather than directly from mother to daughter seems to be a very common uh, occurrence reported. So I have a question from Puck. I guess he's from Massachusetts. And his question is All interesting. Right. Uh, people are using it. He's asking, in this idea of the undiscovered country, um, he, I'm adding that, that he was talking about it. His question is, let me read it from him. Do you think fairies are involved with our reincarnation? Do you think fairies are involved fairies? with our reincarnation? Fairies, fae. Fairies, fairies. Well, fairies um, are, you know, definitely denizens of the other realms. There are, there are virtual realities all over the place out there. The other worlds are virtual realities. I, I come to think of all of this stuff like, you know, other worlds on Second Life, other platforms, you know. Um, there's an infinite number of them, apparently. And um, this one, in all likelihood, is one of these. Uh, there's pretty strong opinions in, now in, in uh, the fringe of quantum physics that this world that we normally inhabit together is a simulation, a virtual realm created by our collective or cosmic consciousness, perhaps. So... Um, you know, there are, there are realms we call the afterlife. The, we call, uh, there's each of the different cultures has their own. There's Arabos of the Greek. Uh, there's Kemet in Egypt. There's, of course, you know, heaven and hell in the Christian mythology. There is fairy. There is the dreaming, the, the realm that we, um, that we enter in during the dream state. And I believe that all these are real. There are these realms that occur in, in a vast consciousness of which we are extensions you know just like you know just like hands coming down out of out of nowhere you know the little fingers appear and and uh but there's a hand behind them all you know so we're it's all part of it it's all a continuum we're not really separate just like water you know is universal it's all the same stuff throughout the cosmos but temporarily it's contained in separate places pools lakes oceans and and cups and so are we we are vessels. So, interesting. Um, so Tamara from Australia, and they've got a different question. It doesn't pertain to this directly, but I think it's interesting. Did you see the moving of the, the, the procession of the mummies? And what did you think about that? Oh, I thought that was magnificent. Yes, of course I saw it in Egypt. That was quite a, 
magnificent journey. It really is. You know, every time I uh, go, and I'm sure all the rest of you have a similar experience, go to museums that have mummies on display. There's something uncanny. We're really looking at the physical remains of our ancestors in some sense. It's not, it's not just a story. It's not just in uh, a picture or an image or an ancient painting or statues. These are the actual physical vessels that once contained the spirits of our ancestors. And the spirit continues, you know, it goes on and on. What is remembered lives is a basic passage. But to see this procession of mummies that the Egyptians were really into death, they lived much more in the afterlife in Kemet than they really did in the present life. For them, this present life is only a preparation for the eternity of Kemet, which was imagined very much like a, a eternal blissful version of, of Egypt. It's their own paradise or world they lived in. That's terrific. I was like that. Um, Lily is asking the question. She said, you mentioned whale spirits being born into human beings. Did I, she, yes. And she said, did I understand that right? And do you think that there are people who are shapeshifters? And is she, oh, or do you think people are shapeshifters or souls of animals within them? I do. I do. I think that um, there's a, there's a, there's a words for those even. Um, uh, I forget just exactly what right offhand, but um, <clears throat> there are many people who consider themselves, and, and justly so, I think, to be, you know, um, part of the spirit is some kind of creature. We have totems. We have a whole concept of totems and spirits of animal ancestors um, inhabit our bodies along with the human kind of thing. At the level of soul and spirit, just like the level of water in the ocean, I don't think there's that much of a distinction, you know, countless rivers from countless continents all pour into the same ocean and it all gets mixed up there. But the whales in particular, I think are the mightiest spirits on the planet. I feel that the, that the population of whales that existed before whaling began was in fact the cerebral cortex of Gaia herself with their vast brains and the communications of sonar that allow them to be you know, connected throughout the entire global ocean um, was the mind of Gaia on a major scale. We were only a tiny little part of that. You know, although we were building a global network of communication with the, you know, internet and stuff that I think in time will also be um, a plugged into planetary consciousness. This is what we're evolving for in my mind is, is emerging, increasing globalization of consciousness on all these levels. And everywhere where consciousness exists, it's a part of that greater whole. I mean, life is consciousness, life is sentience. There is two qualities that, that define life. One obvious one being reproduction and the other one being sentience. And all, all life is pervaded with sentience. And life and sentience is anti-entropy. That's really the only viable definition of life. If you try to look in the dictionary, there is no definition for life itself. It describes what life does. It says life metabolizes, life does this, life does that. But there is no definition in the dictionaries of what life is. And I maintain that what life is, is the anti-entropic force, the opposite of uh, entropy. In Greek legend, there was two very interesting deities. One was uh, represented entropy or chaos. And a popular name for that is Eris, goddess of chaos. 
And that's entropy. Everything falls apart. Everything flies into chaos. And then there was an, a deity of um, bringing together the antithesis of that. What, what drew everything together, a force of gravity, a force of love, and that is eros. So with one letter difference between eros and eros, we have defined the entire nature of, um, of physics and cosmos, the tension between entropy and life or consciousness, which is emergent and increases. Anyway, my little tidbit on that one. All right, I think we have time for like two more questions and, and I've got this one. Uh, Jay from YouTube, okay. he says, I'm 17 years old. I'm really worried about death, but I really want to have a long life. And how would I build a legacy? In magic, wow. I'm sorry. Well, that's a, legacy in magic. That's a good question. Hmm? It's, uh, wow. You know, that's not a thing that anybody can answer for you. But I, I, I'll give you the piece of advice I give everybody who asks those kind of questions. I say, you have to figure out what you're here for and then do it. So think about that. At 17 is a great time to be thinking about that sort of stuff. What are you here for? What is your reason for being alive in this incarnation at this time? When you, somewhere along the line, you selected this avatar and now you're animating it. So what are you gonna do with it? And as long as you've got something to do, then you're gonna to have to stick around and keep doing it. I'm still here. I'm 78 now years in this incarnation and um, I still got a lot to do, so I can't leave yet. And the last one's come from a couple of people, but it's yeah, it simply goes boils down to what events are you going to be doing here in the near future? What events? Are events we going are to be you doing? Be doing? Well, uh, that's a very good question. I'm I'm lined up for doing virtual events, of course, uh, but as the COVID restrictions lift. I'm starting to get bookings to actually go places. Um, I'll be doing um, Hexfest in uh, New Orleans in um, uh, in July, I guess that is. And then um, July or August? Uh, I'll be, oh, is there maybe it's August. Yeah, that's August. That's right. It's August. Thank you. And um, I'll be doing the 50th anniversary of Family Synergy in July. And I'll be doing, well, I'm still not entirely sure whether it's going to be uh, live or virtual, the uh, Pagan Unity Festival in Tennessee. And um, well, we'll just see. Others are shaping up a little bit. I've got several bookings later in the year, but I don't have them all in my head right now. And then here where I am, I'm at the uh, Venusian Church Longhouse in Redmond, Washington. And when we are able to open up again, we're looking and planning some events of our own, but we haven't really been able to nail any of that stuff down yet. This is going to be a very small scale Beltane. I, I intend to have a, uh, a very private celebration, <laughs> but not the big stuff that we usually do. Same thing up on our church land of Onovan, the church of all worlds where we've held huge Beltane celebrations for God, what's it been, you know, 40 years or so. And um, not this year, but there'll be a few people gathered but nothing big scale next year i look forward to really getting back in it all because i miss that <sighs> but that's about it okay and of course you can see him here every month at the eyes of oberon every 15th of the month right here and you can ask the questions of it um and i just so i wanted to 
say thank you for uh, for for doing this. Um, I think I like what you're saying. I think this is very different than um, some of what you say at festivals. I think what you do festivals very skilled oriented, very learning oriented. I think the speaking from your heart has really been uh, a shift for me to hear kind of your stories. Hmm? Um, one thing I, I came aware of, and um, I'm gonna fix a few pieces here, um, is the idea of there you shall never thirst. This was not something that was in Wicca traditions or a lot of circles, but I've been in the last couple of years, and especially during COVID, I've now noticed that thou shall never thirst, thou shall never hunger has really pervaded uh, Pagan, just as you said, welcome home. I think the other thing that you've helped pervade, because I can track that source back to where it came from, history. Um, and I'm not a historian. I'm a trend. I'm, I see trends. And I just wanted to let you know, I thought that was very interesting, especially with water and water sharing becoming such a big issue now. But it was just an observation, and I wanted to thank you for that, for that part of the well, I think, You know, there's a, there's a certain... Um entanglement you know when we've all shared water we have we have shared our molecular connection with universal water which which is the essence of all life back when we first started this which of course was inspired from a similar right in the novel strange and strange land which was an inspiration for us back in the early 60s and um but at those times we really didn't understand water as fully as we've come to since we've learned in the intervening decades that water is not just something confined to Earth. Earth is not unique as a water planet. It's everywhere. It's just mostly frozen out there. That, that's why we hadn't noticed it. But we found ice beneath the craters of the moon. The oceans of Mars are frozen beneath this, the, the sand of the Martian deserts. You know, the outer moons of Jupiter and Saturn are, are covered with ice with oceans beneath them. The rings of Saturn are, are made of ice and snow. And... Um, and the water of Earth has all come from space, raining down constantly as icebergs and snowballs coming down from Earth and joining the great water cycle. Water is the oldest molecule in the universe. It's older than the stars, older than the galaxies. It's ancient, ancient stuff. And it's everywhere. And it flows through us and is the essence of all life. So when we say water shared is life shared, we're... Um, we're talking on a pretty cosmic scale here with this, you know, it's not just a, not just what's in this cup. It's in, it's what's in us, all of us together and what unites us by the factor of quantum entanglement. We are all united through the water. Thank you. And there we go, folks. Uh, Oberon's eyes of Oberon, the final lessons uh, for next month. You'll be back here on May 15th. And we'll never know. We'll figure out what, what he's bringing into your community and find him out everywhere out there. Thank you, Oberon. And remember, oberonzell.com. And you can check out his calendar on that page. You can find out about his Patreon and volunteer to help him get his message across. Well, night, Oberon. Thank you. Good night.